think about the numbers. People are saying, I'm not doing anything extra. You're not getting any of that. I'm, I'm just going to do the bare minimum that's required. Why isn't that setting off an alarm <laughs> like crazy when you do a review with someone? If they're checking those boxes and that's okay, but they were doing more before, where's the disconnect? Everybody should be like at their capacity. People should be at their capacity and not happy to do quote extra to make the work. It should be what's required of that role. This is Lead with Culture. I am Kate Volman, and on this episode, we're talking about the number one thing leaders can do to avoid quiet quitting. I'm joined by Floyd's Director of Coaching, Tony Ferraro, to share some interesting stats and dig into this important topic. Enjoy. All right, Tony, I'm so excited about this episode. People have been talking about this this new quote unquote new thing called quiet quitting. And we're, we're going to chat about it. Tony has the answer. Tony has the solution. Yeah. The one thing <laughs> to yep. prevent quiet quitting at your company. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Well, yeah, there's the one thing it's going to take a little bit to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, what kind of podcast would it be? You got to, yes, exactly. we need to lead up to it. Absolutely. So it was when we first started talking about this, um, you know, I came across some work that Gallup did on quiet quitting. And, you know, it was really, I, I mean, some of the numbers throwing out there, the 50% of uh, the workforce are this quote unquote quiet quitting, which, which sounds, you know, big and, uh, and huge and everything. But what's interesting is they classified it as people that were engaged, then they were quiet quitting. And then the group on the other end, they called them, I think, loud quitters. Right? <laughs> yep. They compared that to engagement. And what's really interesting is they said, look, we're really talking about engagement with people. And so their numbers at 50%, and then they, it was around 18% of these loud quitters, and then 32% of people that were highly engaged in their work. So the, the interesting thing is that didn't surprise, and it shouldn't surprise us at all. I can remember at, at, from 2016 using the number, because it's been so consistent, that roughly 71% of workers are disengaged in their job. And 20% of that subset are, are actively disengaged, right? So this number is, first of all, is, is nothing new to this number. Even if you look at the graph, it's their little blips in terms of that. So, so nothing new. I, I even watched a, a talk Matthew gave in 2009, and he talked about, you know, those people that quit and stayed, those mm. quiet quitters. So that's, that's what, a decade and a half ago? or So none of this is, is new. That's the first thing I think to talk about. And, and the sarcastic side of me, you know, <laughs> kind of wants to say, great, you know, you're a quiet quitter. Congratulations. You're, you've just realized you're a C player. I mean, C players have been doing that forever. So there's nothing new there. The real difference, if we want to be frank, is that we're in, uh, I, I think we may be in such a narcissistic society that everybody thinks they have to invent whatever they're going through. That's the, what makes the headlines, Tony, you gotta, uh, you know, you have to change things up, but that's what was so funny when, I mean, we were talking about it in the office, right? It's like quite quick. This is not new. There is nothing new about it. The things that people are doing are the same things that they were doing 10 years ago. But I love that you make the distinction of, Congratulations, <laughs> you've just identified as a C player because what is quiet quitting actually doing? If you're staying and doing the bare minimum, like how is that helping you in any way? How is that helping you grow? How is that helping you not just fulfill your role, but part of what we do when we get to work is 
to grow, is to gain new skills, is to yep. contribute to a bigger vision than ourselves. A players quit and they leave. Yes, if someone's correct. not fulfilling their job and they're not they're they're not all in, they leave and go somewhere else where they feel that they can be. So that's a that's an important you know a, a distinction. But I also I think what's important is it, it's I don't want to just dismiss it by saying you know okay well this is just the same as all and we're not doing anything about it and I don't want to put it all on employees because the second part in this Gallup poll they talked about from an employer standpoint I think what's happened in a lot of ways is that employers now kind of the chickens are coming home to roost. We hear this all the time in companies that, you know, we'll talk about why do people work for you? And while the mission is critical, the person want to miss work for a company, a mission they believe in that's secondary, very right underneath that though, is the fact that people will hitch their wagon to you. If, if the mission of the company can help fulfill their own mission. And so we know this and we talked, there are some folks that, want to work with us, but then they kind of draw the line of saying, look, people's personal life has nothing to do with work. And so that this complete separation. And so they dismiss that. Well, companies have been doing that forever saying there's work and there's the rest of your life. That's where their whole work, work-life balance came out. You know, that, that came from employers saying you've got your work and then the rest of it you can have for your life instead of understanding that integration between the two. And so they've been ignoring that. And one of the things that quiet quitters are saying is that I don't have a sense of purpose. My work doesn't, doesn't help fulfill the rest of my life and it doesn't have the right spot the rest of my life. So we've known there's been that connection. And Matthew wrote about that in Off Balance, that there's a distinct connection between people's personal life and their professional life. And companies have been ignoring that. And so when you do that and people start, it, it's kind of got to that a point where that gap is so big that now people are frustrated. The second part is that this is really getting highlighted because we're in a pretty tight labor market. So it's a problem because employers aren't, won't fire anybody. Like, well, how am I going to get somebody else? Because I can't find anybody else. I'd rather have a body here that's doing 50% of the work than no one. And we're getting 0% of the work done. So that's why this is, is gaining steam. If this were a, a reverse labor market, where jobs were hard to find, I don't think we'd be hearing about this, uh, to, at least to the degree that we are right now. So look, employees, this is nothing new. And employers, it's nothing new also. You just haven't tended to some of the needs of your employees as, a, as people and growing your people. And so now that's just coming to fruition right now. That, that's my take on the quiet quitting landscape and why we are where we are. When you think about leaders that are keeping players. And we, we, we see this all the time, right? We work with a lot of executives. We work with a lot of CEOs and they, they have really tough decisions. Like as a leader, it's, you have to make those difficult decisions of letting someone go who is a C yep. player who doesn't yep. fit the organization, whether it's in a cultural way or in, they aren't able to fulfill their role, but we, we put it off, we put it off. Yep. And you know, what ends up happening is either they're quit, they quit and stay, or yep. they, end up leaving anyway. And you could have used that time sure. to find the right person to bring in. So when we, when we think about leadership and when you think about managers, and we don't even like to use the word brand, managers, right? right? If you're a manager, you're a leader. So as, as so many employees are quote unquote quite quitting, or they're just not satisfied in their work, or they're just doing that bare minimum, leaders they have this challenge now. Like some leaders have always known that they have to really focus on growing their people. Some aren't. So for the people who aren't used to that, 
what are some things like what are some small things that they can do no. to kind of shift their mindset to help them? Because I think those are the leaders that are challenging the most because they have to not only change their mindset, but now change the way that they're leading. Absolutely. So the quick answer to quiet quitting is loud firing. <laughs> it, <laughs> because this, like you mentioned, it was a great point that, you know, folks will hang around. They're all going to eventually leave. But what happens in the meantime is you got the A players who don't want to be around those people. And some of those will just leave because you're letting it go on in your company. But there's also a range of people who might go either way. And all they're doing is being influenced that by that day after day that this is acceptable. So yeah, drawing the line is hugely important, even in, and probably more so, even in a tight labor market. I was having a discussion with an executive the other day, and we were talking about this very fact. And so when you look at, you know, let's say you have three employees, one's an A player, two of them are in this quiet quitting mode in some way, either actively disengaged or they're just in that 50% in the middle. Basically what you're doing is you're getting 50% of work from those people. So, you know, one answer there is if you let those two people who are only doing half the work, if that, the bare minute, you let those people go, right? The reality is that A player, okay, well, first of all, you're paying. So go tell your board that you're paying 100% of salary for 50% of work. That, that's problematic to start with. That, that's a, a real poor allocation of scarce resources of, the, of your company, whether you're public, private, doesn't matter. And then, then secondarily, the reality that we see, if those people are doing 50% of work each, that's maybe one role of a person. You get rid of both of them. That A player, that A player could pick up, and I've seen this. I'm seeing it in one of the companies I'm working with right now. They really did some, some pruning, and the A players just rose up to where their capacity just seems to expand. So in the coarsest terms there, if you got rid of two people, you got two salaries to play around with, you can give a 50% bump to that A player who is going to pick up probably the work of both those people. And if you have to hire an assistant for that A player at half of what you paid one of those people, you're still a full salary ahead. So there's this fear that we have on that a perceived work that needs to be done. But so that's a that in a nutshell, what needs to be happened, but I don't think you need to fire everybody. So yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> that, that's an immediate response that I think merits some attention. You have to start somewhere, but I think your bigger question is what do you do over time? How do you find yourself in this situation? Because if it's not new, it's been going on, right? So, I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about is long-term. What does that look like? So the first thing that folks need to do is pay attention to their people and grow their people. And understand that you, the work that they're doing for you fits into a bigger picture in their life. And that's what was really interesting. The biggest decline of folks that went from engaged to disengaged were fully remote or hybrid employees. And part of that, this is my theory, part of that is, you know, when someone is able to do some other things because they're at home that they weren't able to do, they realize how disengaged from the rest of their lives they've been. And so they're like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I've been missing all these things. I don't want to go back to work because it's going to take me away from all these other things. Whereas if you had started from the beginning and paid attention to what people's dreams were for their lives, then you can understand Then they can clearly see how working for you now or in the future is going to help them get closer to their dreams because it's not about balance. People have great balance right now. I mean, right now, people, if you're working remote, say what you want. People are working less. They're working for the next Zoom call and they're getting done what they have to get done. And then they're 
walking the dog and going out and doing all the other things they want to do, you know, at home. So and they have balance, but they're not satisfied. Creating an environment where people know that the work they're doing can help them accomplish their dreams. That's the first part that you just, that's a mind shift that companies need to get into, that that's important. And that's, that's why we continue to see so many companies come to us to get people certified to be dream managers. Yeah. That's what a 17 year old book or whatever. And still, and you can speak to that. People are waking up to this. Oh yeah. Well, and what's, what I think is interesting is that leaders are being more intentional about finding those kinds of programs to incorporate in their organization. Whereas I feel like maybe if like years ago, they, it's easy for leaders to say, yes, we care about culture. Yes, we care about our people, but what are you doing other than you provide snacks or you get them lunch or you have ping pong tables and all of those things that we've already talked about on an episode, which is not culture. But what's interesting about some of the executives that we're working with is this is an opportunity for leaders to look at their company differently. When you help your people grow, when you're focused on helping your people grow, you are not only, you're able to uncover some of their unique brilliance. Like the more that, that, that they get to work in and do what they do best and they're growing in certain areas, then you are able to say, oh, if I let this person go, then this person could take on some of those roles. But that's, You have to recognize those things. That's the opportunity of a leader is to recognize, oh, we don't always have to do things the same way just because they've always been done this way. We get to change it up. But if we're not focused on growing our people, if we're not saying, hey, these are some of the skill set that not only we as leaders want for our people, but also what are the skills that they want to learn? Like when's the last time you asked people on your team? hey, what skills do you want to get better at next year? And how can I help you do that? And I think because what Dream Manager does and when you have conversations with your people and you start to ask them those questions, so many things are uncovered. And that is what, Tony, what you were just talking about with engagement, you become more engaged in your life because people need progress. We need to feel like we're progressing in our lives personally and professionally. And so when you feel like your leader has your back and when you feel like your leader actually cares about you as a person, not just because you got the report done on, you know, Friday by 4 p.m., they're going to show up at work differently. And then those conversations really shift and change and they get excited. They get excited for the for where the company's going, because now they have a real role in how they're contributing to that and how it's also helping them grow. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the things we say, when you start dreaming, you become more strategic about your life. Yeah. I think all of us want the people that work for us to be more strategic. So, so actually in a funny way, uh, people are realizing what their dreams are outside of work. So they're becoming more strategic by saying, I'm going to put in less at work because it'll allow me to do other things. So they're actually being strategic, not in a great way, but they're, they are actually being more strategic and not just going to work. And, and, and so number one is that the idea of growing your people and understanding there is a connection between people's out lives outside of work and their lives in, inside of work. But we'll still face some of that resistance of that's uh, less tangible stuff, that's fluff stuff, you know, that, that's more on the periphery. What about some real you know, business strategies around that? Well, um, this is where 
when the things we talk about, and this really is the number one way to combat this. These are the things that when we talk about the culture solution, it's almost like I was reading that article from Gallup and it's like they, they wrote it based on reading the culture solution. I'm not saying that to be self-serving. It's just, here are the facts to that. What are people saying? They don't understand the meaning of their work, right? Well, why is that? Because the mission of the organization is not the king in the organization. There are other things going on. It's not, the mission doesn't drive everything. So they don't see that connection between their mission and the, the mission of the company. And part of that is because the company's not really working from a, a place of, of fulfilling their mission right? Strategy's gotten ahead of, of mission right now. And so that's, that's one thing that, that's going on. The second thing that's really interesting is that we talk about over-communicating the plan. This article quoted that less than four out of 10 young people know what's expected of them at work. There can be a bunch of reasons for that, but the point is, you know, as we talk about, let people know what to expect. This is, this is where the real facts come in. If your company can function People say, I'm just doing the minimum. That's what you hear about quiet quitting. Quiet quitting means I'm not going to go above the minimum for my job requirement, my job description. Well, that, now you got a problem with role descriptions. Because if you can do just your job description and the company functions, but it's half of what somebody was doing, that's a problem with the role description. The role description you have for someone should be the absolute necessary requirements for them to fulfill the mission of that role, which helps the company fulfill the mission. If people are, are just doing their job description and can do it in 50% of the effort, you have job descriptions instead of role descriptions. There's a disconnect between what you've hired that person to do and what the company needs them to do. I mean, think about it. Just think about the numbers. People are saying, I'm not doing anything extra. You're not getting any of that. I'm, I'm just going to do the bare minimum that's required. Why isn't that setting off an alarm like crazy when you do a review with someone? If they're checking those boxes and that's okay, but they were doing more before, where's the disconnect? Everybody should be like at their capacity. People should be at their capacity and not happy to do quote extra to make the work. It should be what's required of that role. And so there's a huge disconnect between really good thought out role descriptions that really cut to the chase of this is what's absolutely necessary for this role to happen. And if someone's not doing that, there's going to be a huge gap that everybody notices. But right now, people can do, do what they're asked to do and say, I'm only doing you know, 50% of the work that I'm supposed to I'm not going to do anything above and beyond. And that just goes along and the company functions. That's a yeah. role description problem. And it takes time to write those role descriptions so that people are clear and they have the right things in them that, that that people are being held accountable for. And also, it's not just those role descriptions are not just to ensure that they are doing what needs to happen to function as right now as the company just keep going. It They need to be aspirational. Like, where are we going? There are things that need to be put in there that are, hey, you are continuing to grow. Like every every company that hires somebody Part of what, I mean, we talk about it at Floyd, when you're hiring, you need to be looking for people who are committed, coachable, and aware. People need to be committed to getting better. They need to be committed to growth, like growth-oriented, growth-minded people. And so those role descriptions have to have things that are stretching and pushing someone into the role that the role will be in order Absolutely. to grow as an organization yep. so that everyone is continuing to grow. Yeah, Otherwise, 100%. you're just going to create stagnant 
in your company, stagnant among your people, you're not feeling progress. And then that's when people start to feel uncomfortable and they don't have that same, they don't have that same passion for the vision and the mission of where you're going. And, you know, as an employer, do you want to be held hostage to people's, how they feel about their job, whether they give you effort or not? I mean, that should be built into the job. So for example, you have a, a sales team. And if the job description says you'll make 35 sales calls a week, that's what you might see in a regular job description, right? Okay, well, somebody can put their 35 calls in a week. Okay, really what the job description says is you'll generate $1.4 million in sales in the first three quarters of 2023. It's a huge difference. I can make those 35 calls and document that I made these 35. Oh, you don't have, okay, no problem. Thank you. And do that over and fully fulfill that job description. The other one, I got to work. Yeah. I've got to work. If I back off the next time we discuss and we review, I'm so far behind. That's going to be apparent. So we got the, the role description, which plays a big part in the, you know, hiring and firing and, but having those clear role descriptions tied to mission, but then also letting people know what to expect and doing that. You know, how often we ask folks, how often do you do reviews? And they're most of the time we get annual reviews. Some more, more, it seems like more people are doing quarterlies. It just, as we start to talk to them, or maybe it's just the people we engage with are willing to go there or whatever. But, um, you know, when you're checking, you have a role description and, and it's got some clear defined things that are going on and you're checking in with someone on an appraisal basis every, every quarter, how do you slide along? If, if those two are in sync, not only do you, they're stretched in what they're doing, but you're checking on it. So that's a big piece. Are you really checking on those? Do you have a right role descriptions? And then are you really talking about whether or not that work is being successfully done? And how much more fun is that when instead of 35 calls, that sounds so boring, right? Like Absolutely. I made my 35 calls versus, yep. okay, if you're, if the role is to generate the 1.5 million, then that person gets to decide how am I going to do that? How many calls is it going to take? How can I make the calls more fun or more effective? Or who can I, who else can I reach out to? Now you're, instead of just giving this person a task that they can check off, they have to think strategically about how am I going to do that? And that's really? what's so fun as a leader, when you see your people being creative in their role and in fulfilling the goals and you're like, wow. Yes. That was a really good idea. I never really thought that. And then when you have Absolutely. those quarterly reviews, you're talking through like, oh, what did you do? How did you decide to do it? What was your thought process in making the calls this way or going in this direction with the role? And you actually have a very fruitful conversation that not only helps, I mean, it helps the person, obviously, because that's what they're doing in their role, but it's also, hey, leaders leaders need to grow too. So you get to learn from your people. You know, yep. We learn because everyone's got their own Again, they have their own creative genius. And that's what's so wonderful when teams yeah. get to work together and people feel like, oh, I'm doing what I'm good at. A players are going to take that go and go, okay, I'm going to do it this way, this way, whatever, whatever I can do to make that work. I'm going to go, I'm going to do that. They're going to figure out how to do that because yeah. they know if they meet that goal, then this is what's associated with it. Maybe it's compensation wise. And oh, by the way, if I make that goal, then I get to go here with my family. And so the company's met its revenue goal and I get my commission that allows me to go to this place I wanted to go with my family. So you figure it out and it's yeah. all tied to that. And yeah, it's great because we're, you know, we sell medical supplies and I know that's saving lives. So i strongly believe in that mission. If I help that mission, the company gets better. Guess what? My life gets better too. Yeah. And so it's intertwined that way. And then what I thought was really interesting is this article finally talked about, well, what do 
what should managers do? And, you know, one of the suggestions, this was great right off the bat. And it was, uh, managers need to be engaged themselves. <laughs> okay, that's probably imagine a, that <laughs> that was a, a, profound a in data. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, managers need to have you know, communicate clear expectations. We already talked about that. And then the last thing was saying, um, should have a minimum of a 15 minute conversation with your team once a week. All right. That's a, when we talk about a coaching culture and creating a coaching culture, that's having coaching conversations with your team yeah, regularly. And, you know, I always love when we do the trainings, you sit down and you show somebody, look, here's seven questions you can ask, have a coaching conversation, help solve that person solve their problem. And they don't leave it on your desk and you know exactly what's going on with them. And any, to any interaction you have with them can be a coaching conversation. It's really is. We talk a lot about the genius. So Matthew writes, it's taking what appears to be really complex subjects and breaking it down into its simplest terms, treating people like people, and then just be a coach instead of a manager. So all the things that we're saying. So, um, yeah. So the one thing <laughs> to get back to that, you know, one thing is you look at the culture solution and things that are those six immutable principles. If you implement those, you would take easily 75% of the issues that are involved with quiet quitting away. It just would. And it's, it's it, they're, they're all simple. And they're basic and they're things that people know. We just don't do them. Yeah. Tony's talking about Matthew Kelly's book, The Culture Solution, and where he shares the six immutable principles of a dynamic culture. And it's true. I mean, it's it's funny when whenever we are having conversations with leaders, it falls under one of those six principles every single time. And principle number four is hire with rigorous discipline. I mean, that's the biggest piece is like you have to get the right people in the right roles and then everything else you start to work towards all of those other pieces, but sure. collectively everything works together, but it's always one of those. It oh. is. And you know, real world example, a conversation with a couple of leaders very recently, right? So they're, they're doing the right things really, you know, a, a pretty talented person, but just didn't wasn't the fit for the role that needed to happen and wasn't taking it to the level it needed to and had to make a decision. And they did, even though it was, there's going to be a gap. Some of the conversations were about pulling the trigger when you needed to move on for someone, help them get into a better role. But then the second part came, okay, we got to do this. What do we need to do? And the, the conversation, if we went round and round, came back to what we need to do first is create the really accurate role description for what we need. Yes. Now we can do things in the meantime to make up for that, but let's stress test that role. If we had someone doing this, would it really solve our problem? So you create the role description, temporarily give people those parts of that role description in addition to their work. And if it does what it's supposed to, great. We need to find somebody that can do those things. If it doesn't make it better, go back and refine that role description. So that's a real world example. And this company's you know, they're thriving because they make tough decisions when they need to. They're just diligent on, are we hiring the right people? Are they really a yes, uh, an absolute yes, a hell yes or not? And if not, they don't hire them, even though it creates some some frustration in the meantime, or a little bit of, of trying to fill the gap. But again, yeah. if you have enough A players, they make it work and they'll fill that gap until you find another A player. And, you know, oftentimes another A player will say, oh, I know so-and-so would be perfect for this. And guess what? You got another A player. So if there's one thing that leaders need to do is get comfortable being uncomfortable. And those are situations that are uncomfortable, but we, we make it through. So did we fix it? Did we fix the quiet quitting I, I problem? Completely, yes. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I speak with somewhat of confidence only because I see it, uh, you know, the, the people that we coach, the executives that we coach and 
when they really embrace the principles that we talk that we've just talked about, yeah, that it's a struggle, but it just, I mean, they're just making all kinds of leaps when they're, when they're doing that. So, um, and when they don't, and when they get away from those principles, it's predictable. Just like th- this quiet quitting is so predictable. Yeah. You knew it was coming, but it we like, never left. It, it, it never it, left. Yeah, right. we, we, exactly. We, you got to deal with it now. You know, it's like not taking care of yourself. And sooner or later that, that issue, you're not doing it. It's going to at some time rear its head and you yeah. got to deal with it. You know, it, it says quiet quitting real. It, yes. And yes. And <laughs> yes. And for years and years and years and years. So, <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, we would love it if you would head over to iTunes and write us a review or just give us a five-star rating. It really does help the show and our mission to help as many people as possible become better leaders. We appreciate you and all that you are doing to help your team grow. If you're interested in learning more about our coaching services and how we can work with you one-on-one, go to floydcoaching.com. Until next time, lead with culture.